0: Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Monday, February 20th, 2023. I'm Lou DeVizio. We have a jam-packed show for you this week, and it's all focused on the legislative session. We're more than halfway through, and that means action is going to start picking up soon. This week on the podcast, you'll hear from Albuquerque Journal Capital reporter Dan McKay talking with Gene Grant about what it's like inside the roundhouse this year. You'll also hear a conversation between New Mexico and Focus political correspondent Gwyneth Doland and State Representative Rena Schapansky about a bill that would create a new state agency to support creative industries in New Mexico. And you'll hear from our line opinion panel on three major pieces of legislation moving through the Capitol, a bipartisan tax plan, a tax hike on alcohol and mandatory family leave. That's all coming up here on the podcast. But let's start with some headlines impacting New Mexicans right now. We start with breaking news this Monday morning. The Santa Fe County District Attorney's Office is downgrading charges against Alec Baldwin and the armorer for the film Rust. Baldwin and Hannah Gutierrez-Reed now face the charge of involuntary manslaughter without a firearm enhancement. This all stems from the shooting death of Rust cinematographer Helena Hutchins. With the downgraded charges, Baldwin and Gutierrez-Reed now face up to 18 months in jail and a $5,000 fine if convicted. New Mexico State University is putting its support behind the school's athletic director. That's after shutting down the men's basketball program over hazing allegations. The school canceled its most high-profile sports program over what the chancellor called a culture of bad behavior, egregious violations of the student code of conduct, and other despicable acts. Despite that, the chancellor is supporting AD Mario Mocha, saying the problems are contained within the basketball program. The school fired Coach Greg Heyer last week. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham is announcing an overhaul of the state's Children, Youth, and Families Department. The agency is tasked with protecting children from neglect and abuse, but has faced several scandals in recent years. During her announcement Thursday, the governor condemned what she described as an antiquated and siloed agency that struggles to adequately care for roughly 1,800 youths who are in state custody. She signed an executive order that outlines new efforts to, quote, ensure that a robust statewide system exists for children and families in need of immediate services, end quote. The announcement comes as another scandal is developing, alleging foster children have routinely slept in central offices of an overwhelmed New Mexico Children, Youth and Families Department in Albuquerque, and that a 10 year old was sexually abused there last year by a teenager with a history of sexual misconduct. That encounter was reported to police. Those events were first reported by Searchlight New Mexico and ProPublica. Here at New Mexico in Focus, we'll be following up with the state and other groups involved with the executive order to find out how it will benefit children under the care of CYFD. Shifting our attention back to the legislature, we're expecting a lot more action in the coming weeks as we pass the halfway point of the 2023 60-day session. We wanted to check in with Albuquerque Journal Capital reporter Dan McKay for an update. So Gene Grant caught up with him late last week for a Facebook Live conversation. During that discussion, Mr. McKay explains how things have changed since the pandemic and what we should be looking out for in the final weeks of session.
1: I want to catch up with Dan at this near halfway point. The session ends on March 18th. Dan, real quick, want going to get you back to work here. But first question, this is our first uh, really sort of in-house session in a long time. Any palpable difference uh, in how legislation is being made compared to you know during the COVID time when people were just at home? Uh,
2: yeah, I'd say it's been a big difference. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the building is just, it's full of people again. Um, you know, that that means everything from, from school kids who are doing performances or coming on class field trips to, um, you know, lobbyists who are leaving uh, presents on uh, legislators' desks on the floor. Um, and there's just, there's a lot of in-person testimony. You know, this is the first session um, in uh, probably about three years that hasn't had any um, COVID restrictions. You know, there's no vaccine requirement. There's no mask mandate. Um, uh, so, so people are, you know, there's no limitation on visitors. There was one session where there were almost no visitors allowed in the building. So, um so, yeah, it's been a big difference in terms of how it's impacting the legislators. Um, I would say there's maybe a little more um, maybe maybe a little is maybe a little easier for them to collaborate and even work across party lines in some cases. Um, uh, I think the legislators are probably getting to know, some, you know, some of the legislators, they took office in, in these COVID pan, you know, um, amid COVID restrictions. So so it's kind of been a chance for them also, I think, to get to know some of their colleagues and and not, you know, not see everybody in a mask all the time
1: you know i hadn't thought about that that's interesting some folks were elected during that weird time <laughs> that's an interesting point um and speaking of across the aisle as you mentioned a second ago there was a lot to talk about bipartisanship when the session started there a lot of feel-good things going out there i'm curious in your view how this is actually playing out either in legislation or in committee how things are working uh, the dynamics there what's your sense about the makeup democrats republicans and how they're working to or not working at this point
2: um yeah i'd say there's been a fair amount of bipartisanship so far um there uh, are a couple of bills that have uh already been sent to the governor's desk or what are on their way um one of them dealing with wildfire recovery and providing uh, no interest loans to communities in northern new mexico um that passed without a single dissenting vote um and uh there was also uh an ethics uh change that also passed really quickly um there's been uh, some bipartisan proposals. It's hard to know how far they'll go on uh, some items. Um, Republican uh, Jason Harper uh, from Rio Rancho, he is working with the governor on uh, some, some a, a gross receipts tax cut package. Um, the governor, of course, is a Democrat, so that's a bipartisan effort. Um, uh, the House Minority Leader, um, Ryan Lane, he is new to his position. He's also teaming up with the governor on a gun bill, uh, basically to prohibit straw purchases or, or make it make it easier to uh, prosecute people who might buy a gun for someone else who's not eligible to have a gun. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, you know, it's it's fairly rare to see the you know a Republican leader in the House uh, team up with a Democratic governor on legislation. So so there have been some bipartisanship along those lines. Um, you know, in terms of some of the more uh, uh, you know partisan areas, uh, there has certainly been you know huge clashes on other firearms bills. Like um, you know, there's a proposal to ban uh, AR-15 style rifles and um, ban possession and sale of certain you know weapons. That has been a, a fiercely partisan debate with Democrats in favor and Republicans opposed. Um, we'll see if that holds up. There's also uh, a you know, bills dealing with abortion rights and things like that, and those are, you know, as usual, getting, you know, falling kind of along predictable partisan lines, but Mm -hmm. I'd say there's been a fair amount of bipartisanship so far, and then, you know, things will will get more tense and probably more combative the farther we go into the session. Good
1: point there. Uh, As we sit here on February 17th, I mentioned we're just obviously a day under the halfway point, and I'm interested in where, I, on this theme still of bipartisanship, we're anxious at uh, New Mexico in Focus and New Mexico PBS following the arguments about the alcohol excise tax. And we're really watching that one closely. It, it, catch us up on where you think that is right now and what the tenor of the room is, so to speak, about this idea.
2: Yeah, so um, I mean, for people who don't know, you know, New Mexico has a terrible uh, alcohol death problem. Um, you know, uh, I, the, the worst in the nation of, in, in recent years. Um, I haven't seen the latest statistics, but, it, yeah. but it's been pretty bad. And um, there is there are some proposals that deal with uh, alcohol treatment, alcohol taxes. Um, one of them would establish a flat 25 cent a drink tax. Um, and New Mexico has a strange tax system now where different kinds of liquor or alcohol get taxed in at different amounts and it's taxed by volume. Um, it's it's sort of a strange system. This would simplify it in some ways, and it would also be a more expensive tax. It would raise it would raise more money. Um uh the testimony before the committee, you know, the supporters have basically said, look, there's research that shows that if you increase the cost of alcohol, um uh, consumption goes down and you see a number of health benefits in your state. Um Opponents, you know, their their primary argument is that, you know, look, we have New Mexico is in the middle of an oil boom. There's a tremendous amount of revenue. You don't need to raise any kind of tax to have the money you want for treatment. So um, uh, that proposal, um, it, it, that proposal has picked up some Democratic opposition. So Republicans have opposed it largely on the tax issue that they don't want a tax increase. Um Democrats seem to be a little more split on it. Some um, some of course are in favor and are pushing that bill and and some are opposed. Um, my guess is that it's probably got an uphill battle this session. Um, it's cleared one committee. It would have kind of a long way to go at this point. Right. Uh, there could be other changes to the tax system on alcohol that maybe don't raise taxes necessarily. So, right. so there are probably other ideas that may advance before that one. But I think it's a discussion that if it doesn't, Passed this year, I think it's a discussion that's going to continue for some time. It's it's pretty clear that, you know, that that the supporters of the bill think they have a pretty compelling argument for why it, why it would be a good move. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting points you made there, though, about its possibility in its shape and form in the other end of the tube on March 18th. So we'll have to see what happens there. Another big one, Dan McKay from the Journal is of course, is this the session or the year we start to modernize our legislature? What's the latest take on? Uh, things out there. Let me kind of just set it up for the folks out there. There was some recent polling uh, out there that shows there was strong support in every age group for modernizing our legislature, meaning paying legislators, allowing them to have paid staff. And the third one, of course, the big one, uh, going to a full time legislature in finger quotes. Who knows what that means? It could be six months, four months, all the year. Where do we stand now? What's, what's the hallway chatter on that? Are folks generally warm to the idea of modernizing, or is the body just sort of protecting itself a little bit here? And uh, not moving so quick on this stuff.
2: Yeah, it, it really seems to be a priority of Democrats in the House. You know, Democrats have a have a big majority in the House. Well, b- both chambers, but um, but the House Democrats seem to be a little more interested in it at this point. Um, mm-hmm. the The debate has been kind of partisan this year. It has not always fallen along partisan lines, but this year it has. Republicans have have more or less objected to these proposals. Um, the, the The one that m- I don't know. Maybe has a little more legs at this point. Is there's a proposal that would lengthen um, legislative sessions in um, even years? So in election years, uh, the legislature only meets for 30 days, and the agenda is limited. Um, and uh, they, you know, the budget is usually a dominant issue in those sessions. Um, there's a proposal that would expand it to to 60 days. So New Mexico would have 60 day sessions every year. Um, proponents say it would, you know, give, give the legislature a little more time to vet bills. Um, It would provide, you know, two opportunities for, for some of these bills to advance rather than just one every election cycle. Um, That one maybe has a little more, seems to have a little more movement, Um, but you know, it's a little hard to tell this early in the session. Um, There are also proposals dealing with staff, trying to get legislators better staff so that they can better vet bills and have sort of independent analysis rather than they're relying so heavily on lobbyists um there's also uh proposals to uh establish a salary for legislators um supporters say this would allow a um a broader pool of people to serve um the the legislature now is not entirely unpaid they they do draw per diem they get some reimbursements they have a pension system um Um, but they do not draw a salary and, um, you know, the amounts of money that, that they get are, are pretty small. So, you know, legislators are constantly talking about how they, um, how much the job cost costs them and damages their income from, you know, they have to take a break from their law practice or, or, or whatever else they're doing. And, And consequently, a lot of retired people serve in the legislature, but, um, yeah, I, I would say it's a definitely a huge priority for, for Democrats in the house, um, a little too early to say whether it's going to gain traction in the Senate. Um, But I do, I have heard a lot of talk about the 60 and 60 uh, option. That is one that, 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 you know, may advance.
1: Interesting. I hadn't heard that. That's very interesting. Um, Last question, Dan, I know you got to go back to work there. You you know, you've been covering the, like like I mentioned for 20 years. Is there anything that stands out uh, about this year's sessions? You know, the reason I ask that is down here from Albuquerque, it's hard to get a, a, get a feel for the room, so to speak, wherever room you happen to be in, committee or whatever. But in this year, just something just feels a little different. And you're reporting on you and your colleague, Dan Boyd, as well. Um, how, how are we supposed to kind of consider how the, how these folks are working? or we're just going to have to wait to the very end to find out what falls through and, and what makes it. What's your sense of that at this point?
2: Yeah, everything, pretty much all the work ends up happening at the end. You know, we joke right. that, that you're halfway through the session, but like 90 percent of the work is still still to, to, to be done. Um, I would say, you know, the House has maybe been a little more, uh, a little less combative than usual. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, there have been some leadership changes there. Uh, uh, We have a new speaker, Javier Martinez. He's a Democrat from Albuquerque. Um, Brian Egoff uh, didn't run for reelection and left the legislature altogether. Um, on the Republican side um James Townsend was the leader for a few years and he um remains a member of the legislature but decided not to seek re-election um so the uh the partisan makeup of the chamber hasn't really changed Democrats still have 45 seats Republicans have 25 um but the personalities are different you know uh Ryan Lane the Republican leader and and Javier Martinez the the speaker they're both um uh lawyers who are, In their early 40s, you know, I I think that they maybe um, maybe that helps them cooperate a little more. Um, It does feel like there's been uh, it's been less combative. We've had fewer debate go sort of the full three hours in the house and sort of slow everything to a crawl. Um, So so it could be that there's that there's maybe maybe a little more collaboration on that side, but we'll have to see how it happens, how how it plays out. You know, obviously you know, it's going to get more tense and, uh, you know, more partisan as we start to face, you know, sort of the deadline of the end of the session. But um, but I would say that the atmosphere in the House is maybe, maybe a little bit of a change, a little bit of a distinct feature of the session so far. Interesting.
1: Hey, Dan Kay thank you so much. I know we got to get back out, out there in the committee hearings and floor and just see what's going on there. One last thing, if readers of the journal wanted to catch you and your colleague uh, Dan Boyd's uh, stuff, where, where should they go on the website? What's the best place for them to catch up with your work at the legislature?
2: Um, yeah, we're, we're thankful for anybody who uh, supports the newspaper, you know, either with subscriptions or just clicking and reading our stories. Um, the, the front page of the Albuquerque Journal does have a bar at the top for legislative news. It's usually a, a funny color like yellow or pink or something. And uh, mm-hmm. if you click on that, you'll get a legislative page that has, you um, uh photos and videos from eddie moore it'll have stories from uh dan boyd and and me dan mckay and then also other reporters who chip in uh with coverage so it'll um so it's kept up to date up to date that's a good place to find us um also you can search for us on twitter we are on twitter and we occasionally take over the journal facebook page and do a facebook live but um but yeah we're thankful for anybody who wants to to follow our work
1: May I support that? And I do it twice a day, folks, in the morning and then in the evening with the follow-up stories, and you're never without information. Trust me. Hey, Dan, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Have a great day, and we'll catch up with you at the end of the session. Thanks, Gene. Thanks.
0: Thank you to Gene and thank you to Dan McKay for that conversation. Now, we all know that New Mexico is known for its art, from paintings to pottery, music and film. Our state really is an inspiring place filled with creative people. But are we giving them enough support? That's the motivation behind a new House bill that would create a new state agency to highlight those creative industries. New Mexico in Focus political correspondent Gwyneth Dolan went to the Roundhouse to ask the bill's sponsor how it would benefit the state as a whole.
3: Representative Sabanski, you have a bill that would establish uh, the New Mexico Creative Industries Division with $67 million. Uh, what, what are we talking about in terms of creative industries? We're here at the Capitol, which has an amazing art collection. Are we talking about painting,
4: sculpture? We're talking about visual artists, we're talking about sculptors, but we're also talking about dance, we're talking about um, video game design, architecture, the, the entire breadth of creative industries, which is incredibly vast. We also have ceramic artists and we have tile manufacturers, so it, it's pretty diverse and diverse in size as well.
3: So what would the economic impact be of investing money
4: in a whole division just for this? You know This industry is already contributing $5.6 billion to New Mexico's economy, but as we are looking for solutions to further diversify our economy and prepare for that day when oil and gas revenue is not as significant as it is now in our state's budget, our heart and soul needs to be front and center on this, which is our creative economy. And I think the potential for this is vast, and that's why the size of the investment we're asking for is also significant. Because it's everything from infrastructure to individual assistance for businesses, training of entrepreneurs, and everything in between. So we're here in Santa Fe right
3: now, which you know Santa fans like to brag that this is the art That's capital right. of the state. So is this uh, one big uh, wet kiss for Santa Fe? <laughs>
4: <laughs> it is a big hug for Santa Fe, but honestly, it's a big hug for the rest of the state too. Um, we have people working on this from all across the state, from Roswell to Farmington to Silver City, Las Cruces, Albuquerque, of course. So, you know, we know the arts economy is a very significant portion of Santa Fe's economy, but it's also a huge portion of Gallup's economy. You know, the a number of individual artists in our country, uh, in our state, is second to none in, in our country. So, why not capitalize on all of these natural talents that we already have and help people grow so that they're not doing their art at night? You know, I met an Indian market first prize winner a couple of months ago and he has a day job. He has a day job, that day job pays his bills, it provides benefits for his family, and he's he's a nationally renowned artist. Can't we invest now so that someone like him can turn that art into a full-time job that really provides that living for his family. So were we talking about giving $67
3: million to individual artists so they don't have to work during the day? <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, although I'm sure there would be many that would uh, would love to have that. Um, what we're talking about is things like shared infrastructure, so makerspaces, housing for creative economy um, in professionals, what we're talking about is investments in those businesses so that they can expand, we're talking about workforce development so that we have a pipeline of folks that are ready to work in some of the larger creative industries, and then we're talking about shared community resources like gallery space, like Here's a shared manufacturing facility that does 3D printing and also has all these other tools that are very expensive but can really help artists provide a living for themselves and their families. You know, we had a foundry in Santa Fe that was used by metal artists all over the region that recently closed in the last couple of years. All of that business is now going to Colorado because there are several foundries in Colorado. That's a kind of public-private partnership that we could have where we could bring in some state dollars to really make something like that um, stay afloat for the first few years so that our local artists could then utilize that and not have to drive their wares to Colorado. Colorado's actually, some of those businesses are sending folks to Santa Fe to pick up that work and deliver it um, after it's been produced. That's, an, uh, that's one example of economic opportunity that we want to have here. We want to have it here, based here, New Mexico-owned, New Mexico-run. Thank you so much for telling us about this. Thank you.
0: Thank you to Gwyneth and Representative Schepanski for making time for us. Now, there are several major discussions happening in the legislature this week on taxes. Maybe the largest is a bipartisan tax plan that would cut the state's gross receipts tax rate. Gene and our line opinion panel talked through the potential positives and negatives for business owners and local municipalities. Our panelists this week are Christelle Ciarza, owner and CEO of Ciarza, former state senator Dede Feldman, and former state representative Dan Foley.
1: Now our first topic today concerns taxes. AT THE ROUNDHOUSE THIS WEEK, ELECTED OFFICIALS ARE CONSIDERING A CUT TO THE STATE'S GROSS RECEIPT TAX RATE. HOUSE BILL 367, A BIPARTISAN BILL, BY THE WAY, CO-SPONSORED BY FOUR ELECTED OFFICIALS, WOULD DROP THE STATE'S GRT RATE FROM 5% TO 4.625%. ADVOCATES SAY THE BILL SAYS THE MOVE WOULD SAVE MORE THAN 400 MILLION FOR NEW MEXICAN RESIDENTS AND, MORE IMPORTANTLY, SMALL BUSINESSES. HOWEVER, WITH THAT PROPOSED TAX CUT, IT COULD MEAN A DECREASE IN 70 MILLION. Start with you, Senator Feldman, in tax revenue for counties and municipalities. Should this uh, GRT tax be passed? Let's start at the very simple uh, base here. What do we lose? What do we gain? What's the pluses and minuses of, of cutting versus not cutting?
5: Well, this is this is first of all a tax cut, mm-hmm. um, and it's a tax cut that would also include an end to tax pyramiding, yes. uh, which is a long uh, grievance I think That's that right. especially small businesses have had. That's right. Uh, it'll cost the state a lot of money, um, and it comes on the heels of a tax cut last year mm-hmm. in gross receipts tax, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was phased in over two years. That's right. So um, it's, it, it's, um, it, it's going to hit the municipalities and the counties hard. What they right. usually do in response is they raise their portion of the gross receipts tax. So it doesn't benefit the consumer that much, unless there is some sort of a hold harmless clause, Mm -hmm. um, which which prevents them from doing that and and reimburses them for the lost revenue. Mm -hmm. So um, this is not, tax reform, I don't think. I think it's just another tax cut. I was hoping that this legislature would really look at the whole tax structure. Uh, Rather than just giving away revenue, also think about reforming um, the uh, graduated personal income tax um, and some ways of picking up revenue as well as losing revenue. and you I a don't think balance this is you're it.
1: describing, though. That's a very hard thing. You're, you well, know, if you take from one, somebody else loses. I mean, do we have to have a system like that?
5: Well, that's. Yes, that's the tax system. You have to you have to look at it in a system wide way. Mm -hmm. You can't just give away everything or you can't just take in everything. Um, It's got to be a balance. And therein lies the problem.
1: Exactly right. That's
5: where you need good legislators, bipartisan approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've tried to do it for years unsuccessfully. Instead, we just keep giving one break, one deduction after another, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're all IMPORTANT AND THEY'RE ALL GOOD, BUT THEY ALL ADD UP.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, BY THE WAY, ON YOUR POINT, IT WAS 5.125 BEFORE IT WAS REDUCED TO 5% LAST YEAR. Uh, AND THAT WAS OUR FIRST TAX CUT GRT IN THE GRT DAN IN 40 YEARS, (laughs) GOING DOWN TO 5%. BUT i GOT TO ASK YOU, THREE REPUBLICANS, ONE DEMOCRAT SUPPORTING, THE GOVERNOR IS VERY MUCH SUPPORTING, THIS FEELS LIKE IT'S GOT A LOT OF MOMENTUM. Should we be cautious, though? Same kind of the same question inside
6: out. Yeah, no, Is there know. something? No, I don't feel cautious at all. I, th- okay. I feel like there's no lack of us making money as the government. Anytime the government can give money back, streamline the process, obviously. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I, The Senator is correct on a lot of the stuff she said. I don't disagree with her at all. Mm-hmm. I do think there's a difference between the personal income tax and the gross receipts tax. And I think that they're looking at this from a business perspective. Um, I do think, you know, it's interesting in all the articles that we're reading, you know, the, mm-hmm. the cities and the counties and the municipal league, they're all, you know, our stance is always anything that declines revenue for a city we say is a bad idea, which is insane. I mean, right. you know, right. there's the potential that we, look, we are with our gross receipts and more importantly to the senator's point not it's not necessarily just the percentage which is pretty high mm-hmm. It's the process of who pays it, who doesn't pay it, when you pay it, who collects it, how it goes in. Yes, That's the problem. Yeah. That's a huge problem. And so it does become a hindrance to especially small businesses, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to have to pay GRT when your business is making $100 million a year. Your staff does all of that. But if you're a mom and pop operation that has the potential to grow, you could really get yourself in a pickle with the gross receipts tax. I can give you an example. I had a constituent in Roswell mm-hmm. that owned a uh, hardware store. And I didn't realize that at the end of the year, through the gross receipts process, he sells, he would sell stuff. So if you came in, Gene, and said, listen, we're with the church. We have our, our, non, our exempt from gross receipts tax, and he doesn't charge you. When the state comes in and audits you, there's certain things like maintenance items that you have to pay taxes on, new construction items that you don't. But if he doesn't understand all of that, guess who owes the money? he does right. even though he didn't collect it from you right and so it really i mean the, some of these businesses i mean i've i had constituents that in that would come to me on the grocery seats issue where because they are the collector it's not them paying it per se right. they have to collect it that they owe tens of thousands of dollars to the state and it could be the difference between you staying in business or not staying in business mm-hmm. so i do think you know we gotta we gotta this has to be fixed i do applaud the movement i mm-hmm. do applaud the fact that the governor is supporting this to, to move this forward. I do hope there's a hold harmless clause uh, because mm-hmm. the cities will turn right around and raise right. it. The problem with the whole harmless—the whole problem yep. with the whole harmless clause, though—as yep. well on the food tax. Remember, we gave the money, right. and then we did the whole harmless, gave the money, and then by the time the whole harmless was running out, they jacked it right back that's, up that's again. Right. And that's so right. it just is a—you know—it it seems like at the end of the day, no matter what mm-hmm. reform we try, the person that loses in the end, it seems like, is the taxpayer.
1: You know, I'm smiling because you and others, and Senator Feldman, you were in on this. <laughs> 10 years plus ago, we talked about that food tax and what a problem it was, and how munis would just turn around and do their own thing once the state took their cut at it. Let me go back to pyramiding. Crystal, I got to get you in on this as a small business owner yourself. Yeah, yeah, I have a lot of things to say. There's (laughs) a lot of clarity coming now. One of the things I appreciate in the argument is that uh, it's finally becoming clear that bigger companies have an advantage here, meaning they can, and Dan knows this, you can have all these things Mm -hmm. that you don't have to farm out Mm in-house, that you would have to collect GRT on, I'm not sure about your company's setup, but that's a huge problem for a lot of folks out there. It
7: is and it isn't. So, mm-hmm. like, I almost brought my company budget together just to kind of prove the numbers <laughs> yeah, yeah, behind whether or not this would you work. You would or do not. that. I yeah, love yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to the actually farming out or whether or not you're outsourcing or insourcing, I do both, right? I have uh, folks that are actually internally running the finances, but I also have folks like an accountant that would be exempt from this rule of mm-hmm. gross receipts um, that would actually be outsourced. Nine times out of 10 small companies, yes, they specifically outsource. It actually does benefit the small business owner Mm -hmm. because if, let's say, for example, your monthly fee to an accountant is $1,000, you're not paying $1,070. Anymore because of that 7%, mm-hmm. or, or it would be less than that specifically. Mm-hmm. And the bigger companies though, they're only, they use the argument that bigger companies are outsourcing for those specific entities. It's because of efficiency, right. operational efficiency, right. not because of, and, and also cost savings. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's mm-hmm. not gonna really make a big difference. What nobody's talking about though, Please. What nobody's talking about is the influx of expenses that all business owners, both small and large, have had to actually experience in the last two years, Mm -hmm. where a majority of expenses are actually being increased from 10 to 20%. That means rates are raising rates, prices, services, goods from 10 to 20%. And so, yes, you can make a big deal about 25, or was it uh, uh, 0.25% being lowered, but the municipalities are gonna get it back anyways, because we just all have to raise our rates. Um, And so that's one thing that's not even taken into consideration. And Mm -hmm. if if you are a business owner, what we've seen on the Asian Business Collaborative side Mm -hmm. is that majority of the businesses um, that have issues that they have to deal with, is that they don't understand gross receipts to begin with, the difference between sales and gross receipts. So the erroneous nature of taxation would actually be eliminated where tax and rev doesn't have to come to us as small business owners, business associations to actually explain what the percentages actually are. And it makes sense that Representative Harper is actually leading the charge because Mm -hmm. what is Rio Rancho notorious for? not getting enough gross receipts right. because right. they lose the business That's from right. Albuquerque every single time. That's right.
1: Interesting points there, very interesting points. I hope this is uh, part of that discussion and so is Senator Feldman. I wanna go back to hold harmless for municipalities. It's gonna be a heck of an argument. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the, the fundamental argument that the state can't really at the end of the day tell munis exactly how to run their business versus the other way around. Is there a middle ground here on this? Because we're gonna need this, some clarity on this if we can't get it done in one session, how do we, how do we get around in, in having a true reform package that I know you've been looking for for a lot of years? So,
5: Well, you know, there have been... It's a very complicated area, mm-hmm. number one. Yep. But there have been bills passed in the past that have said counties can only raise their gross receipts tax a certain percent right. each year right. in an effort to address that. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, there is a possibility that the state could simply give the city of Albuquerque, for example, 30 million dollars that it says it will cost every year. Mm-hmm. So, the, in that case, the state is out, not just the amount of lost <laughs> tax revenue mm-hmm. from you know lowering the gross receipts tax, mm-hmm. but also, THE PAYMENTS THAT IT HAS TO MAKE TO THE MUNICIPALITIES
7: right. EVERY really YEAR. Interesting
5: SO point. IT'S it's A REAL STICKY WICKET yep. AND uh, THAT'S WHY IT'S BEEN SO DIFFICULT TO DO IN THE PAST. Mm-hmm.
7: BUT I THINK Request. MUNICIPALITIES mm-hmm. ACTUALLY HAVE A BIGGER OPPORTUNITY BY by SIMPLIFYING THE GROSS RECEIPTS PROCESS BECAUSE NOW rec- MORE RECRUITMENT FROM ECONOMIC DEVELOPMENT ENTITIES CAN COME INTO THE MUNICIPALITY AND ENCOURAGE MORE BUSINESS TO ACTUALLY BE THERE. LIKE Rio RANCHO yeah. FINALLY become, yeah. BECOME A LITTLE BIT MORE COMPETITIVE THAN okay. ALBUQUERQUE um, AND SO once once that, once things are simplified, the opportunity door is wider for smaller municipalities to actually recruit more business. It's so, Interesting therefore, more way to look at it, yeah.
1: actually. If you, if, if you do it in 30 seconds, are there any lessons to be learned from the time you guys were in the legislature about the Bill Richardson push to cut the personal income tax and how that turned around to be not exactly the greatest thing? financially for the state of New
6: Mexico. Is there a warning there I from that period? I, mean, I, I think it was a good thing for the state of New Mexico. I don't mm-hmm. think it's, you know, we, we in New Mexico, at some point we're going to realize municipalities, counties, the state. In New Mexico, and you and I argue about this all the time, Gene, we don't have a revenue problem, we have an expense problem. And <laughs> at right. some point you have to stop <laughs> saying that when you give money back to the shareholders, i.e. the taxpayers, sure. the first response from elected officials is, well, now we don't have enough money to do what we need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we, one of the things we always did and I always tried to do whenever we do these things and do the whole harmless clauses, I always tried to add language to the bill that said if the local government wants to pass a tax increase, they have to put it for a vote. It can't be done. You know, the, the city council can't meet and say, hey, we're going to up gross receipts right. by a quarter percent. They actually got to go out and let the people vote on it. Love and that. when they do that, it's shocking how many of the voters don't vote for the increase number 1 and number 2 how many of those cities and counties are still in existence today in, right. in new mexico right. they didn't they didn't That's blow right. away in the That's dust right. so i think it just feeds That's the deal right. we don't have a revenue problem as much as i think the state has a spending problem
1: Good points there thanks to our line opinion panel there
0: Now, sticking with the legislature and taxes, a group of Democratic lawmakers is pushing to increase the state's tax on alcohol. It's an issue we've covered here at New Mexico in focus in collaboration with New Mexico in depth for months now. If House Bill 230 goes through, taxes would go up 25 cents per drink. The proposal would also dedicate an extra $155 million in revenue to support alcohol treatment centers. Another factor in this equation is New Mexico's nation-leading alcohol-related death rate. Last year on New Mexico in Focus, Gene spoke with a panel of experts about some of the contributing factors and potential solutions. This week, our line panelists explore if the proposed tax hike is the right way to attack the problem.
1: The Health and Human Services Committee voted 6-4 to four Friday to advance House Bill 230, but it's facing opposition from the national alcohol industry and local breweries now bills like this have been introduced before at the Roundhouse and Daniel is this the year that lawmakers approve the increase that has
6: not happened for 3 decades plus is this the time Yeah n- mm-hmm. no it's well Gene as we said in the last segment and you know I know the senator's going to throw a pen at me I'm I'm never in favor of raising any taxes we don't have a revenue problem So you know I don't know you know we look at these things like you know we talk about smoking cessation for instance you know we've raised mm. the taxes on cigarettes it's going to stop smoking there's more people smoking today than there were 25 years ago so none of this stuff that might
1: not be true not, but rolling. Keep, rolling. Not, keep rolling keep rolling <laughs> it's not wrong at all i mean we have
6: we have they may not be smoking cigarettes we moved on to vape because we've go. created other things <laughs> for them true. to do industries so, are tricky though so yeah. they are so yeah. i i think raising the taxes on alcohol you know it's just it and especially now Um, I think you're going to find the same thing that's happened with tobacco. Mm -hmm. With Amazon Prime now, you'll just get people ordering alcohol from out of the state and having it shipped in, just like they did with tobacco, and you don't have to pay these taxes. So it becomes a huge problem. Let me ask the Senator about this. Um, The proposed tax would increase the state's liquor
1: excise tax, 25 cents per uh, drink. Mm -hmm. We have some folks out there against this. The the Albuquerque Chamber, actually, is against it, amongst others. What's the harm? $0.25 a drink. Is anybody going to not drink because of that, a $0.25 increase?
5: Yes, people are not going to drink because of that. Mm -hmm. And it's young people. It's people that are uh, extreme drinkers, Mm -hmm. binge drinkers. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has been proven in other states to Mm -hmm. decrease uh, DWI, to decrease... um, Binge drinking, youth drinking, and I think there was a study out of uh, Boston University Mm -hmm. that said overall uh, raising the taxes on alcohol uh, decreases drinking by about 7%. That's right. (laughs) That's a study, um, and uh, the Mm -hmm. other states have actually done it and Mm -hmm. found a reduction so i think it would be even more so in in new mexico because people don't have as much money and they're more Ah, price sensitive in new mexico than they are you know think about the navajo reservation think about some of the rural areas of the state um and um you know it'll have a big impact
1: that's an interesting point there i hail from a state that raised taxes on alcohol many many years ago crystal and the idea of changing behavior via taxing is a difficulty for some people. They really have a, just an innate, you know, dislike for that kind of thing. Yeah. But as Senator is, is, is pointing out, it does work. It does change behavior by it, raising taxes.
7: It does. And, and what gets really challenging and tricky to us is that we have to take into consideration how alcoholism plays a big factor into socioeconomic levels. Like the right. LFC came out with their report on House Bill 230, and they said the highest would be Tennessee. Our neighboring states are um, only 16 cents, 8 cents, and 20 cents. Mm -hmm. That's Arizona, Colorado, and Texas at that great number. Mm -hmm. I think the big challenge, though, is that because New Mexico needs more resources for public health, specifically on addiction, like alcohol, it becomes really expensive to fund Public health initiatives like this. Mm-hmm. I think the big challenge that people are starting to get really upset about, though, is that this fund is supposed that increase is supposed to fund a new project, which would be called the Alcohol Arms Alleviation Fund. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Ortiz Pino had a similar but different bill that hasn't even made it to committee yet, mm-hmm. where he's like, "Don't put it into general into to general fund. Like, right. don't put it into um, into back to the state of New Mexico." further pay for DWI prevention right. um, and, and items of that source and out of full disclosure like we currently have a client that's DWI prevention and I can tell you that the numbers and the brand awareness and the impressions like the NDWI campaign not our client but mm-hmm. as a good example mm-hmm. right that awareness still needs to get out there and that's the right. cost of advertising and marketing is not going and it's not getting less Thank you less. for
1: saying this because again Daniel the, the, the problem the numbers are not good how we drink here. You know what I mean? The the ramifications and the interview with Mr. Alcorn and others, and especially the physician out in Gallup, the costs are enormous. They may be hidden. We may not see them as regular citizens. The enormous family costs. So again, why not, Daniel, if it decreases pain out there
6: across the state?
1: I I hear your point earlier, but why not? Because it
6: doesn't decrease pain, Gene. People find other alternatives to go to raising, like we we hear this stuff here, like we heard just now, if we raise it 25 cents a drink, it stops uh, youth drinking. Well, you, you, well, it decreases. How does it decrease it? it Youths aren't crazy. buying drinks at bars. They're buying cans. They're buying bottles. Right. They're not going to a bar and buying a shot of tequila. So at the end of the day, the problem is, is, is we again, mm-hmm. at this table, we have all these feel-good, raise the tax, do all of this stuff. But where are we on the on the other side of it mm-hmm. with holding people accountable when they commit a crime, sure. making sure that they get the help they need? Forcing them to get the help they need. Part of the money is earmarked for that. Well, we have plenty of money for that. We've had it for years, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we've had Mm -hmm. the laws for years. But we don't hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. Why are people? I mean, look at the news every day. Mm Gene, there's people dying in D.W.I. crashes that we find out that the person that was involved in the D.W.I. crash it's their seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth Mm -hmm. time. And you're telling me the answer to that problem is to raise the tax for people that are obeying the law when we're not doing anything to hold the people who are breaking the law. And I do think there has to be a better element of of the help because there's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. We have a whole segment of New Mexicans that you just can't lock them up. Right. There has oh, to be right. a systemic right. a conscious change. Yes, generation and in generation. We've, we've got that's to work right. on that. But the answer yeah. isn't to say, uh-huh. how do we do this? Because look, and the other problem is, is anytime we create these funds in the legislature, it never does what it's supposed to do. Look at the Tobacco Settlement Fund. Mm-hmm. I mean, we burn through that thing. I mean, I mean we, this we, happens all the time. I
1: hear you, but let me I throw something else on the table. Chris, I want you to follow up the Senator on this one because I, I think it's interesting. We have a lot of societal change right now about how we drink. Mm-hmm. Gen X and millennials are not throwing down booze the way boomers did. It's yeah. just a fact. You Wait, know what I mean? We don't. Have you seen
7: me on a Saturday? I, I have. <laughs> and you're, you're not as bad
1: as boomers, trust me. And uh, uh, we, you know, young people just don't do that. They you don't get. They don't get. Right? Exactly. Well, like, it
7: depends, right? It does like, depend.
1: But you know what I'm saying, Crystal? You know, in New York, bigger cities, you pay forty-five dollars for a specialty drink. You're gonna have like one or two of them a night. And you've had a great night. Sure, you're not out there throwing of, shots of tequila, and you know.
7: And that's what that's what pre is for, right? And so <laughs> and you're still going to get alcohol no matter what, right. and you're still going to affect the lower paychecks from it's or the higher paychecks that some mm-hmm. of the folks need. And yeah, you know, the the fiscal impact of it is really going to make a change in decision making. Right. But at the same time, like you were saying, like there has to be some type of systematic change that leads a person to drink in the first place, right. and that's what's really going to make the differences right. versus you know, um, mm-hmm. let's say for example. INCREASING THE ALCOHOL TAX, IT'S JUST A LITTLE ALARMING ABOUT HOW HIGH IT'S GOING TO BE right. AND HOW, LIKE YOU SAID, SPENDING PROBLEM, HOW IT'S GOING TO BE That's spent.
1: let me THROW ANOTHER ONE HERE FOR, uh, for SENATOR AND ALL, IF YOU'D LIKE TO GET IN ON THIS, IS THAT LOCAL BREWERIES ARE NOW A BIG DEAL
7: yeah.
1: IN OUR STATE AND THEY'RE GENERATING A LOT OF INCOME. A LOT OF FOLKS ARE MAKING, YOU KNOW, wow. GOOD LIVES FROM THIS BUSINESS AND THEY ARE OPPOSED TO THIS. Do they have, are, ARE THEY ON SOLID FOOTING HERE? ARE THEY DIFFERENT THAN OTHER ALCOHOL BECAUSE IT'S CRAFT BREW?
5: Well, they've gotten a tax, for example, they've gotten a tax break. Uh, We were talking about tax breaks in the past. They've gotten a tax break in the name of economic Mm -hmm. development and Mm -hmm. local industry. Um, But, um, you know, I mean, you can look at it uh, from the um, point of view of uh, stopping drinking mm-hmm. uh, and whether it, and debate whether it does that or not or whether anything will do that or not. But you can also uh, look at it in terms of uh, fairness, in terms of mm-hmm. taxation. Okay. Um, and whether we aren't even subsidizing the alcohol industry right now right. in the way we tax alcohol by volume mm-hmm. and not by price, um, and in the fact that We haven't changed the darn rate for fifty years. Isn't that a subsidy to a special interest, whether whether it be a brewery, whether it be a winery? And the same argument that you were mentioning was made for wineries, and we gave them a tax. That's right. Um, Yeah. So uh, uh, it's just to me. Um, uh, Another example of a very powerful special interest group being questioned because of its huge
1: advantage. Are we at the point, Senator and, and House member, where this idea that these folks are all powerful has got to stop? Well, no, everyone everyone talks human. about
6: the liquor lobby oh, in Santa it, fe you you like, oh yeah, and yeah. listen the yeah. only the only the only thing the only thing that the number one issue on every legislator's mind gene is re-election okay period and a story sure. yeah. the worst place to be between obviously between a legislator and a TV camera the more important thing is between legislators and fundraisers mm-hmm. I mean, it's all about getting reelected and so yes it, it means a lot to them but at the end of the day we have to look at to the point that the senator was making mm-hmm. you know i think we also should I, we got to stop with all she's right all these special exemptions and cuts but listen i can tell you this i'm I, i'm not a drinker mm-hmm. i don't i don't like to drink mm-hmm. i turn into bad santa when i drink so it's not a good thing for me <laughs> um and so i'm um, it's not the I, I don't enjoy it but i have gone my, we'll go out to the breweries right. i will tell you this a lot of the breweries in town limit the amount of beer you can buy Absolutely. like you get right. five Thank beers right. if mm-hmm. and that's, that's it right. you're done yeah. i mean and <laughs> it's a beer and limit five. Right. whatever the number is it's 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 they're doing things that you know, if we're doing, if we're saying we're raising yeah. this tax just to help without with drunk driving and alcohol alcohol stuff, then if you're going to hurt an industry that's making a conscious decision to say, listen, we got a two beer limit, that's all you could drink in this brewery, that's a, that's a that's, mandate. That's a mandate
5: for over-serving is illegal. Now. Yeah, that's, that's not. You
6: know, it's not two beers senator you over serving is a decision the business is making a decision yes. to say we will only sell you two beers yes and so and so i think that that we have to also if we're going to punish bad behavior mm-hmm. we have to reward good behavior good
1: stuff there thanks again to the panelists up dan
0: foley right there For our final segment of the podcast this week, Gene and the panel sit down one more time to talk through a bill that would mandate 12 weeks of paid family leave to employees across the state. Here's Gene.:
1: state officials are debating a proposed bill that would create a paid family leave program for workers across the state. and if approved, Senate Bill 11 would require employers and employees to make regular payments to a state fund that would allow qualified employees 12 weeks of paid leave to care for personal family matters. This bill comes one year after state lawmakers, you might remember this, created a mandate that businesses provide paid sick leave to their workers. And Crystal. Is mandated family leave the logical next step here, or are there some landmines that could be stepped on along the way that are unseen? It just seems so simple, but mm-hmm. something seems debatable here. Yes. I'm CURIOUS where you are,
7: I'm not the model business owner to say, especially when I when I've served on you know various different economic development mm-hmm. um, task forces for both Rio RANCHO and you know, Albuquerque. Yep. You know the perspective of p- paid family leave um, doesn't. It doesn't help the business owner with another regulation or regulatory policy that they have to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. However, one of the arguments I used to make about paid family leave or paid sick leave in this instance is that the business owner really needs to evolve themselves into being a more family-friendly employer or more Um, ethical employer. And so, for example, my company does pay family leave and we're, like you had mentioned off air, is that, wow, you guys are a little bit more forward-leaning and progressive. No, it's just the right thing to do because if all of our employees of, of birthing age, or most importantly, all of our employees are actually at a point where their parents are aging, Family leave is incredibly important, no matter where it is. And so, and that's what's very common in our industry. So family leave is just an example of how you can be a better employer. Mm-hmm. Whether the mandate is a good mandate to begin with, it is really challenging because business owners don't like to be told what to do. That's just, point there. yeah, end, right. of, end of discussion. <laughs> and right. I think, you know, uh-huh. we're, while we were talking off camera, you know, there is mm-hmm. a really important clause to take into consideration in this bill, is how is it going to be regulated? Right. HWA actually is very, very well regulated, HWA being the Healthy Workplaces Act, right? right? And so HR companies working with ours, it was very easy for every one hour or for every 30 hours you work, there's one hour. End of discussion that's not hard to manage and 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 monitor if you have the right resources this one you have to pay the state you can even hear secretary nair in a lot of the in the interviews that she's really nervous <laughs> if this actually becomes a thing in workforce solutions
1: interesting points here um employers must, employees uh senator must have worked for 90 days to qualify and the cost to employers would be four dollars for every thousand dollars of wages and employees would start, would pay $5 for every $1,000 of wages. Sounds pretty simple so far, but my question is Crystal brought up something interesting that there's a lot of nuance here depending on the age range of, of folks. What about this for young families, uh, for women employees? I mean, there's lots of different ways to, to look at this as opposed to a big blanket uh, deal. Any about, anything about this concern you when it comes to? Women, particularly, and in how this would affect employees. Well, I think this will
5: particularly help women, okay? Because women are uh, normally the family caregivers, whether it be for their parents or for their children, and of course, they are the ones that uh, need um, leave when they're pregnant and having have just given birth. So, it's a it's a. It's a, it's a bill that will really help women, but it will help the whole family. And I think that's the point. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to mention that this is not for small businesses under five employees. Right. So um, most New Mexico businesses are under right. five that's employees. Right. Uh, I think there's something like 160,000 of them in New Mexico. Right. We're a small business state. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't apply to them. Um, and, you know, I, for, for better or worse, I think it was just cost too much for small businesses. Um, but it's also, I think, a, a way to attract employees, too, if you have this kind of yeah. benefit. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, uh, that's important, too.
1: Interesting point there, uh, uh, Crystal. The Kaiser Family Foundation says that less than half of employed women across the country say their employer offers uh, paid parental leave. Mm-hmm. Yep. I gotta think it's an opportunity, the way what Senator's mentioning. It is,
7: so you have mm-hmm. to look at it from both sides. So yes, the employees are going to see that it's going to be more favorable to work for a company that's going to be accommodating to their life values right. and their lifestyle, right. including including fathers. You have to take into consideration adoptees and parents would actually benefit from paid sick leave. However, one of the challenges that you run into from the business owner side mm-hmm. is the fact that you're at four, right? You're at four employees mm-hmm. or four, and it doesn't specify is it FTEs or part-timers right so because technically two part-timers equals one full-timer so Mm -hmm. past that nomenclature you have to think about when we looked at the Obamacare Act there was a lot of companies that don't want to be over 50 because they don't want to pay that health the health care limitations or that mandate so five employees for paid sick leave will actually be the growth stunter for a lot of companies Mm -hmm. because they'll have to go, and if you could run the numbers again, it was for for every $5, $5 $5 for every 5000 5, One thousand 1, for 1000 right. that they mm-hmm. own. Right. So if you do the math, that's like it, it's, I, I can't do the math very fast, but mm-hmm. that could actually stunt growth for one employee, mm-hmm. a new service, a new contractor, yep. et cetera. So there becomes, it, it really screws up with the performance and mm-hmm. the projections for down the road, and also the growth that they want to have to take into consideration. So for us, every time we have to add a new benefit mandate at Sierra, that actually means that that could cost us between Ten to even $30,000 per year, no. and that those numbers are not taken into the debate of paid, paid leave. like an
1: employer. I like that. <laughs> Dan, interesting, um, I'm going to dovetail off something, uh, there's a bigger picture here, perhaps. Uh, You're coming uh, to me for the Yes, picture? I am. Oh, wow. Yes, I am. <laughs> and I'm going to vote uh, Senate Pro Tem uh, Mimi Stewart while I'm asking you. Uh, anyway, she's the sponsor, and Senate Majority Whip Michael Padilla is in on this as well meaning a reduction in infant, infant mortality and child abuse. That's the long, long, long goal here. Uh, meaning that, you know, stability, you know, the, a bigger picture if the bill is
6: approved. Would
1: you agree with that? If
6: yeah, that's a possibility? I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to play out. I mean, I, I think that, you know, listen, we have a problem in this in the in the world right now there's a lot of people who aren't fit to be parents who are parents and sometimes putting the kids with them more often for more time is not necessarily the right the right move which which has been the argument in New Mexico right when we've had this argument with uh, CYFD on getting kids back in with their families sometimes kids don't belong back in with their families I I think one of the things (laughs) that happens is that lots of times there is a motive to pass a piece of legislation and both sides start going to extreme emotional discussions about why we're doing this Right. When the reality is, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I think the intentions are right behind this, but I think, you know, what worries me is once again, we're going to take all this money, we're going to give it to the state. I haven't read the bill. I got to go on record with that. But I mean, you know, so what happens? You know, I remember not too long ago when I was in the legislature, in some cases that's a very long time ago, um, you know, we had the unemployment tax and we had this huge surplus and the legislature is gonna give it back to the employees. Mm -hmm. It's 100% paid by the employer and they were gonna figure out a way to give it back to the employees. Now this bill says it's gonna be, how do you decide what dollar goes back to who? And then as we've seen many times with this type of stuff, we've seen it with with the gas tax, right? We have a gas tax in New Mexico. The gas tax is intended to do what? Fix the roads and bridges in the the state. What do we do? We take that money. It goes to the general fund. We find ways to use it for other things. So I just I think you know when we start telling businesses, hey, we got a great idea. We're the government. We have a great idea. You're going to give us money, and we're going to help administer this program for you. I don't think we have a great track record. Let me ask the same question for Senator. Again, that long play about infant mortality.
1: Twelve weeks of leave. IT'S BEEN PROVEN BY STUDY AFTER STUDY THAT A MOM THAT IS ABLE TO STAY HOME AND CONNECT WITH HER CHILD leads TO MUCH BETTER OUTCOMES FOR THAT CHILD DOWN THE ROAD. <laughs> <laughs> SHE'S A LOVELY LADY, I'VE HEARD. NOT FROM YOU, BUT FROM OTHERS. Um, uh, 12 WEEKS IN THIS BILL, THAT'S A LONG TIME. THE 11 STATES THAT HAVE A SIMILAR uh, uh, DEAL THAT'S PASSED ONLY REQUIRE EIGHT WEEKS OF PAID LEAVE. SO I'M ASKING IS THERE A MIDDLE GROUND HERE YOU CAN SENSE IN YOUR GUT THAT POSSIBLY CAN MAKE THIS MORE palatable. For bipartisan support on this idea, that it helps families in the long run to have this.
5: Well, as a mother, uh, I don't think that twelve weeks is too long Thank because, you. Uh, you know, it takes a while to bond with your child, mm-hmm. um, and when and the first two weeks, I almost. Don't even count
6: that. Ah,
1: right. <laughs> because Any parent can connect to so what you It's so difficult. You know, it's, it's so like difficult. I mean,
6: it is for difficult. For some reason, it was very difficult for me.
1: I know. I mean, it's,
5: uh, these these creatures do not come with operators <laughs> right. manuals. Right. You know, and so. You have to learn and uh, the child really benefits more than you think mm-hmm. uh, as when you're when you're doing the mothering and putting in the time so mm-hmm. i think it is important in the same way that we now recognize that early childhood education is extremely mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. in um, setting the stage for later life
1: mm-hmm. crystal i want to come back to something you mentioned that i'm so fascinated with the idea of a state-funded family leave program that incentivize companies that already provide paid family leave like yours to actually opt for the state option is is that something you've thought about as well
7: so it's going so of course numbers right Right. again i almost brought my budget i almost brought the um, balance sheet that i have in my company because it actually would become a little bit of an accounting nightmare and i say that it'll become a little bit of an accounting nightmare because paid leave uh, paid time off and paid sick leave, is actually a liability for a company. It mm. may possibly alleviate, alleviate the liability on the worth of a company okay. um, down the road, but at the same time, it also becomes kind of a pain because of the fact that the money has to leave hands, you know, the number one challenge that small businesses have yep. is cash flow.
1: I got I to wrap you there. That, I, I'm hearing you. It's a it's a problem it's to a stay challenge. or go, depending on a state-run program. Like Dan's saying, it comes fraught with things. Thanks again to our line panel, as always, for this week. These guys were terrific. Be sure to let us know what you think about any of the topics these folks covered on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. And catch up on any episode you may have missed on the PBS Video app on your Roku or Smart TV.
0: Thank you to Gene, our panelists, Gwyneth, Dan McKay, and Representative Rena Schapansky for their contributions this week. Stay with New Mexico in Focus during the week through our social media pages. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates and other news items leading up to our show Friday nights at 7 o'clock on NMPBS. Thanks again, everyone. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio for Monday, February 20th, 2023. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Have a great week, everyone.